Our Lord Jesus Christ brings us to this time now when we listen to his voice in his word. And the word of God is the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ to his church. And uh, as I always want to stress that uh, we're living in an age, and maybe it's always been the case, but it just seems heightened uh, these days that a lot of Christians are getting distracted into wanting extra special messages from God. He's given us all we need for life and godliness in his word, and that's why we preach the word of God. And um, I'll tell you what, as soon as I master this one, I'll go ahead and ask the God, God for extra information. But uh, I don't think I'm going to live long enough to master this one, so always go back to the Word of God. A couple of things here. Uh, one, one announcement, Ed asked me if I just highlight this. It's on the white sheet, uh, the white bulletin when you dismiss, but normally college career is at the hearts, but it's not tonight. You'll notice in the white sheet, it is at the ministry center. Also, the reason I'm preaching today, Pastor Stephen and his family took the week off, so uh, uh, he asked me if I'd fill the pulpit for him, so that's why I'm bringing the word today. And also, <clears throat> I know we have many situations where people can't be with us on Sunday, but you, you know, you all know who are regularly part of our ministry here. Our dear sister, Anna, who's usually right here in the front row, and uh, the last um, several weeks, she's been battling some illness, which comes along with um, the cerebral palsy she lives with. Anna has a great heart for the Lord Jesus, and... Um, Donna, her mom is here and figures that Anna probably is Anna is probably watching online. So Anna, we all say hello. She's home with her dad and uh, Hugh. And so Hugh and Anna, we love you both. And Anna, we are praying for you for the Lord to give you strength and grace. All right then. <clears throat> January 6th. We saw an event that I really don't think anybody in our nation ever thought we would see, and that's the storming of our nation's capital. And uh, certainly it is a jarring thing to think about and watch, and, and then there's all kinds of narratives out there about who was responsible for what or incited what and this, that, and the other, but... This morning, I mean, it's certainly on our hearts and minds a lot, the, these unusual circumstances. What is the bigger picture in all this? I mean, the true bigger picture. And one of the challenges we're facing right now is where are you going to go for a source of truth? And everybody is convinced there's some source of truth out there that's more reliable than the other source of truth. By definition, News media, because they have a limited time to get out a statement, will choose what they want to get out. That's just always how it's been. Oh, it's been that way through history. It goes all the way back to biblical times. There is one absolutely reliable source for truth for past, present, and future, and that's the Word of God. And that's what believers have held to all through the centuries. They have held to what does the word of God say. And the reason I had chosen Revelation 5 for Walter to read this morning as a background is because there is only one that was found 
in the, at the heavenly throne, qualified to open the scroll of all that was going to unfold. There's only one, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone knows what's going on. He alone knows what's unfolding. He alone guides it all. It's very important for us to remember that. That's been crucial for our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the nations in our present day and throughout the nations throughout history. So this morning, I take us to another passage that I think helps us uh, during this time. We need a sure hope. We need to know what are the real certainties that we need to hold on to so we don't get swept up into chaos and confusion and distractions, which I think all of us are prone to. Uh, we have to be very careful. This is the nation we live in, so we have passionate feelings about it. You remember when we had Taku and Katie, and Taku uh, grew up in Zimbabwe. He had a burden for what was going on back in Zimbabwe at times. I mean, we know our people, our neighbors, our land. Uh, it's part of where we live, but we have a heavenly citizenship that rules above all. And we want to keep that in mind. And this morning, we're going to go to the book 2 Thessalonians. As I mentioned uh, before, I didn't grow up going to church, so I had to learn where the books of the Bible are. Uh, do not be embarrassed if you're not sure where to find a book in the Bible. Use the table of contents. If you don't know where the table of contents is, you're on your own, but that's usually at the very front. Okay, so 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Thessalonica was a city in the Roman Empire. 2 Thessalonians, that means this is the second letter that Paul the Apostle, through the Holy Spirit's direction and inspiration, wrote a letter to them. They were living at a time when there was a lot of confusion about the Lord's return, and they were, uh, there was upheaval around them, as well as upheaval of things and they were being told, and it was an unsettling kind of time for them. And it's very interesting. This is one of the earlier books in the New Testament. It's, only, it's written only about 15 years after Christ had ascended back to the Heavenly Father. As the, the apostles watched and Christ was lifted up and the angel said, you'll see him return in like manner. And so this is very early in the church age. And I want us to keep that in mind so we can have a handle on this as Paul is writing to them. And I'm going to describe it this way as certainties because that is at least in my heart and mind and thinking, something we need to hold on to. What are the certainties we can hold on to? As we look at the passage, I'm going to describe it this way, three certainties for us in chaotic times. And I'll tell you what they are, and then we'll look at it. When I get done and you look at the passage and you think, I think I'd word it differently, be my guest, this is my way and my limitations as best I can describing it. Three certainties. The Lord's ruling hand. The Lord's amazing grace, the Lord's comforting strength. And that's what we're going to look at as we see the passage uh, break down. So 2 Thessalonians, and I'm going to start at verse 7. Now, it's going to mention, th those, of you, those of you that have done study on this or about the end times and listened to sermons and whatever, you're going to see this man mention the man of sin and uh, sometimes there's a lot of speculation about uh, what will he be like, where will he be from. And uh, I remember, those of you that are old enough to remember, uh, from my age group, and if you're involved with the gospel back at that time, uh, 
and there was a lot of speculation in the late 60s, uh, was Henry Kissinger the man of sin? Because he seemed to be showing up everywhere on the world stage. Well, it turned out it wasn't Henry Kissinger. So uh, in this day and age, people have their candidates. Well, uh, I wonder if it's Bill Gates, or I wonder if it's George Soros. And for all we know, the man of sin, if he is going to be revealed in a lifetime, could be an auto mechanic in Uruguay, for all we know. And... Uh, some of you are thinking, is there really a Uruguay, or is that one of those made-up movies from Hallmark? No, there is a Uruguay, and it's right next to Paraguay, so that helps, all right? So that straightens that out for you. So, and we want to remember that Adolf Hitler was a wallpaper hanger and house painter before he gave his heart over to demonic darkness. And I'm certain that Satan, at that point, thought he was finally able to raise up his man of sin, but God crushed him. So Satan is always looking for that opportunity, and the day will come finally when God reveals, he fully removes this restraint, and the man of sin will surface. But that's not where I want to give the focus, because we don't know if that'll be in this generation, a next one. We don't know that. And, and again, back in the 60s and 70s, we didn't think the world was going to last 10 more years. But we're here. Instead, I want to focus on a phrase that we often go right by, and we don't stop long enough to think about it carefully. So I'm going to read 2 Thessalonians, starting at verse 7 to the end of the chapter. Chap pardon me, chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 7. <clears throat> For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that were, you were taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. What a remarkable passage. The Roman Empire is uh, pretty amazing at that time. The uh, Roman Empire had a network of roads. It had maps. It had city clerks. Uh, you wonder how the believers found the gatherings. You could go to the city clerk in any one of the cities in the Roman Empire, and there would be records kept. 
and in some way the believers, maybe you could register and say we have a gathering. Oftentimes the believers simply called the way because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And maybe you would go to the city clerk and look through the records and you would find someone had recorded a group of the way is meeting on uh, Seaside Street. Or, uh, or maybe there'd be the sign of the fish and uh, indicating at this address, uh, this location, uh, this gathering point. Uh, they, the Roman Empire had a postal system. Uh, it had a school system. It was amazing. And I'm pretty confident, although I'm not old enough to actually have interviewed anyone from the Roman Empire, that they probably thought, any citizen in the Roman Empire probably thought, you know what, the Roman Empire is really the center of God's universe. And the reason I mention that is it's really tempting to think the United States is the center of God's universe. And we ain't. If my mother were here and she heard me say ain't, I don't know if she would grant me grace on that one. But we are not the center of God's universe. We just read about the center of God's universe, didn't we? Lamb of God, exalted, ascended to heaven, standing there by the throne, opening the scroll, and everything encircles him. Everything encircles him. And the reason I stress that today, it's very tempting to think what's going on in our nation is somehow the center of God's whole plan. But I want us to think a little, I think we, we have to have the bigger picture, and I want to point at the scriptures here. Go to verse 7 where we started off. <clears throat> the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Paul wrote that 15 years after Christ had ascended early in the church, and he said this mystery of lawlessness is already at work. First John talks about, yes, there will be the Antichrist who comes, but there are many Antichrists. There is the spirit of Antichrist that creeps through the nations constantly. Psalm 2 explains this, that it is hardwired into the rulers. We want to break these bonds that the Lord puts on us. They won't articulate it that way, but God says that's how their hearts function. And in one of the few times where it mentions God laughing, it says in Psalm 2, Psalm 2 God laughs. Really? You're going to overrule me? You're going to overthrow me? And God laughs in the heavens. He says, I have exalted my son. The mystery of lawlessness is this rebellion that is hardwired into the human race. It is hardwired into the nations. Nations come and go. Nations rise and fall. It's very important that we see the bigger picture of what is happening during this church age and even our own nation. And in fact, I would say for our brothers and sisters in Christ in 58 nations in the world, I think some of them would say to us, why are you so shocked this is happening to your nation? Aren't you reading your Bible? Don't you know what the Lord says? In fact, they might even say to us, welcome to our world. 
58 nations, our brothers and sisters, have gone through turmoil like this, and more are rising up. And another six nations right now, Voice of the Martyrs, are monitoring as the oppression continues. And it is hardwired into the nations. And, I, you know, I've heard people say, well, the United States is different. You know, the United States, the pilgrims made a covenant with God. We're different. No, we're not. Not according to what the Word of God says. It says in Isaiah 40, verse 15, the nations, all of them are, now there's two ways to translate it, a drop from the bucket or a drop in the bucket. It can be translated either way. Here's the idea. You've seen, you know, people pull up a, a bucket out of the well. As they're walking along, a drop falls out of the, from the bottom of the bucket. And have you ever seen anybody panic? You lost a drop off the bottom of the bucket. Or have you ever seen something, wait a minute, hold it, we need one more drop in that bucket. You know, it's comical, and God says, that's how significant your nation is in my plan. You are a drop from the bucket. Now, that's sobering, but that is the, the span between our nation and all we might think and the glorious kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very important we get the bigger picture here. And uh, the desperation that uh, you know, as well as I, you know, now we have this access to all these podcasts and websites and YouTube links and there's all this stuff going on. It's so easy for us to forget the bigger picture. This mystery of lawlessness was already working through the nations, and it will be leading up to the time where finally it will come together, and Revelation 17 through 19 describes this when it says, all the nations, all, A-L-L, no exception clause, no asterisk with a footnote, oh, the one nation's left off, the United States, no, all the nations will be seduced by this massive worldwide government that Revelation calls Babylon. It is the whole coming together of a worldwide government that Lord says is finally going to come and then it will be defeated. But what do I call this the Lord's ruling hand? Well, first of all, we're not going to change God's plan on that. This is his appointment, his ruling hand, that he will let the mystery of lawlessness work. And there is a warning to us as believers, because sometimes we're trying to unravel the mystery of lawlessness. We're trying, well, I know who's causing it, and I know the part Bill Gates has, or George Soros, or there's this cabal of uh, influential billionaires. It's called a mystery because we don't know all the information we can't know all the information, and frankly, the people that are caught up in promoting lawlessness, they themselves don't even know what all drives them and how they're influenced. It is a mystery of lawlessness and rebellion that is moving along. Don't waste precious breath and heartbeats trying to track down the roots of the mystery of lawlessness. It's called a mystery for a reason. Watch out, you don't spend too much time on that. It will culminate in this man of sin finally surfacing where all the rebellion will be wrapped into him. But notice what it says here. It says, 
only, verse 7, only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. And there's different debates of saying the Lord restrains, the Lord use something else. Well, ultimately, the Lord restrains. Ultimately, the Lord restrains, but also the Lord can lift his restraint and turn people over to what they want. Romans chapter 1, very clear on this, very sobering warning. But notice what else the Lord will do. Verse 11, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Listen, we can't go by, this is one of the most sobering verses in the New Testament. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in righteousness. The ruling hand of the Lord restrains. The ruling hand of the Lord can release. The ruling hand of the Lord can turn over to sin. The ruling hand of the Lord can send delusion and can blind. And it's all part of his judgment. And I think as citizens of the U.S., how long did we think the Lord would just wait as we slaughter the unborn, as the nation promotes immorality more and more and is never satisfied till they promote even more of it? And one of the hardwired principles of democracy is the people tell the rulers what they want. And as the people say, this is what we want, then the rulers deliver. It's a very sobering reality here and a very strong warning. And so we first have to begin by looking at a passage like this and looking to see what's going on, that this is the Lord's ruling hand. And so, you know, we can all debate, well, you know, the people who stormed the Capitol, is really this group or that group or these people? Just That's not the point. That's not even close to the big picture. The big picture is the reason this has happened is by the Lord's ruling hand. All he has to do is keep lifting his hand of restraint and lawlessness will grow. And at its root, there are people, when they do not know Christ, will say, I want the wickedness. I want the unrighteousness. And it's a very sobering warning when the Lord says, I will send them a strong delusion. You might wonder, is there any hope? Nancy and I are reading some scripture this morning. Isaiah 38, 17. You redeemed my soul, rescued my soul from the pit of corruption. You rescued my soul from the pit of corruption. One thing about when a sinner comes to Christ, a Savior, turning from their sin, putting their faith in Jesus Christ and his payment on the cross, suddenly your eyes are open to the light and the light shines on the darkness inside of you. And one of the shuddering thoughts that begins to occur to the new believer is, I didn't realize how dark the darkness was in me. 
and there's a growing sense of God's holiness. And I appeal to any, and, and it, in fact, as you grow in your faith and you see more of God's holiness, you're like gripped by this. But he has rescued us out of the pit of corruption, and people can be rescued. In this turmoil, what do people need? Do they need a political reorientation? Or do they need to be rescued from this corruption, this lawlessness that rules their hearts? Do they need to be rescued from the condemnation of God, the wrath of God that's coming on the earth? So we want to be very careful that we do not get distracted of how desperate the need is, even training ourselves and how we speak to people. And so that we say to them, you know, the political this or that is not what's crucial in God's eyes. It's where you stand with the Lord. I don't care what your political shape is. Where do you stand with the Lord Jesus Christ and his saving love and grace? Training ourselves to think carefully. But as we see everything going on, this is the Lord's ruling hand. And we must keep that clearly in our minds during these days. He is the one who's lifting the restraint and letting this surface. Now we go on here, and I love this. Let's go to verse 13. And there's this wonderful word. But! Why? Thank you, Lord. <laughs> this helps. But! We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. What a contrast. He has given us this gripping warning about those who are just sold over to lawlessness and God's condemnation is coming, but yet here is hope. Here is life. Here's good news. And this is the Lord's amazing grace. And I want you to notice he says, as we look at it, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. Ephesians 1 tells us that everyone who comes to Christ, chosen by God out of his infinite, unfathomable love, even before the foundation of the earth. If you know Jesus Christ today, the plan of your salvation began even before creation. Now, this is a great mystery. And we try to wrap our feeble human minds around it, where we take God away from his sovereign ruling over all, and we say that, well, God just kind of looked down the quarters of time and saw who was going to believe and say, well, I want that one. And it kind of is tied in with what God saw that we had to offer and he really isn't in control. This breaks our pride. This shatters our pride. 
and lifts us up in wonder and praise. I make absolutely zero claim that I can grasp it. But it's what he clearly has revealed. And we wonder, why did I come to Christ? And this other family member didn't, at least not yet, but maybe never did. God, in astounding grace, had set his love upon me even before the creation of the world. He chose us to be the first fruits to be saved. And my brothers and sisters, this really is crucial so that all the praise and honor and glory goes to our God and we are humbled before him. And it doesn't take away from us declaring the gospel because look what it says here. It happens through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. A wonderful work the Spirit does is he takes those that the Father says he has chosen to give to chosen to give to his son, and the Spirit sets them apart, not only in the plan, but even in the encounter with the gospel. When we were at the church on Long Island, uh, we had a, a lady come to know Christ. Oh, man, I'm sorry I'm at that stage in life. I can't remember her first name. Escapes my mind. I'll, I'll, let, let, let's call her Meredith, because I can't remember her first name. But So Meredith and her husband uh, live across the street from one of the families from the church, and uh, one of the boys, Nick, was uh, 12 years old. And so Meredith sees Nick out in the driver's side. She crosses the street, and she says to Nick, you know, Nick, and, and it's a very Catholic area there, uh, about 50% Jewish, 50% Catholic, at least when we were there back in uh, uh, the late 80s, early 90s. And she says, Nick, isn't it about time that uh, you go through confirmation? He says, well, we don't do that at our church. She goes, you don't do that at your church? And he says, well, no, what it is is uh, each person uh, hears about the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they have to believe in Christ as their Savior. It's not something like the church just does. It's up to each person to believe in Christ. And Meredith tells, she told me the story. She said, it was like my feet were cemented to his driveway. I could not move. She was struck and encountered by the living God. She came to know Christ as her Savior talking to a 12-year-old boy because that day the Spirit of God moved her across the street. Meredith talks to Nick. Nick shares the gospel in a simple way as a 12-year-old boy would do, and the Spirit of God just opened up Meredith's heart. She wasn't looking for that. She just wanted to say hi to Nick. As I've heard you heard me say before, the night I got saved, I went into a church evening church service on a Sunday night with my older brother and uh, his fiancée, my future sister-in-law, and uh, I went in there, and I bought it had as much, I mean, I stayed with my brother, so I had to go to church, because that's what we were going to do. I'd rather watch TV in his apartment or whatever, but I had to go to church. I'm 11 years old. I am zero interested. And then suddenly the Lord encountered me and opened my heart. And it wasn't any clever illustration or fancy story that the pastor told. It was suddenly I was riveted, and I was not looking for it. It was the mercy and the grace of God breaking through the sanctification by the Spirit. He not only sets us apart in the plan, he sets us apart so that what? There can be belief in the truth. So let me tell you something. When you came to Christ, whether it's because you're in a family full of believers and grandma's talking to you about faith in Jesus, or whether you were part of 
a lawless motorcycle gang and you happen to stop at Lily's Diner and some Christian walked by and says, I'm going to give you something to read. And you're like, okay. And then you came to Jesus. The Spirit of God had the whole plan worked out. This is amazing grace. It's just as amazing for your grandma to share the good news with you as it is that Christian walking through the diner and is not put off by all your tattoos, beard, and your Harley chopper sitting outside. It doesn't matter. It's the work of the Spirit of God. So that you would believe the truth. To this he called you through our gospel. So we do call people to the good news. So that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Here's what I want us to notice here. He takes us from one end of eternity, that's humanly speaking, to the other end of eternity, the heavenly father who loved us and called us until finally we see Jesus Christ and we see his glory and his majesty. You know, as believers, I, I, it's a little hard sometimes for me to ask these questions of other believers because I'm not quite sure I'll word it right or they'll wonder what's wrong with me. There's a lot wrong with me. I try not to make it too public. But anyhow, um, when I stop to think about when my last breath is taken, my last heartbeat, and I'm going to stand before Christ, it overwhelms me. I'm wondering, what, what will that be like? It's like that song. I mean, will I dance? Will I fall on my face? I mean, well, I, I don't know. And even to even try to think of Greg without sin, I'm wondering how much of Greg will be left. You know, I'm like, like about 3.2%. I mean, I'm just like, you know, I have no sin. I'm like, what's left? I'm crying out loud. And... Uh, but I will see the glory of Christ and his glory will fill me. This is so astounding. And if, if I'm the only one that kind of has these wrangles in my brain, I'm happy for the rest of you. But it just, I think about it and it kind of overwhelms me. And it's usually at that point I think, I'll just go read a history magazine or something because I'm so overwhelmed, you know. So this is amazing. From one end of eternity to the other and we will obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look what he says in verse 15. So then, brothers. Now, <clears throat> let me stop. Remember what he's described, God's ruling hand, sobering warning. Then he describes with the word but, this amazing work of his amazing grace saving sinners. So then, brothers. Verse 15. Stand firm. Not for your politics. You stand firm for the gospel. Stand firm and hold. And that word hold means you grip. You grip. I love why. <laughs> if you want to see, like, what does he mean by grip? Watch any of our parents who have toddlers. After church, you just watch. Grip. You know, <laughs> the kid is like pulling. Grip. That's what the word means. You grip those traditions. Now, we, know, we hear the word tradition, and we think of like dead patterns we follow. We don't have quite the word. It simply does, it, the word simply means passed along. Grip what has been passed along by us. Remember, the apostles were delivering the gospel. They were laying it out. They were laying the foundation. The apostles and prophets were the foundation of the church. 
grip what we've passed on to you, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Really showing that they had that sense when they would write their letters that the Spirit of God is moving them to. And he's simply saying this, you grip your doctrine. Why do we stress this so much? Why do we offer the classes? Why do we keep bringing this up? Because it's when one doctrine starts to crack and crumble, it starts to erode the focus and clear understanding of the believers. One crumbling doctrine, one crumbling doctrine, until finally it's like, well, I think Jesus would want us to do this, or I think he really likes this, and I don't really think what we've been teaching is, and there's all this confusion that creeps in. We lose our light, we lose our clear message, and we lose our own hope and joy and assurance. Grip the truth of the doctrines of the word of God. And in a very simple way, just make sure you are reading your Bible. And when you have opportunity to read something more, just to understand a doctrine better, it's so valuable. I mean, this is going to sound like a commercial. Well, it is a commercial. With men's Bible study, Ed's been taking this through Romans 6, 7, and 8. And I think you could ask any man here, and I know the men who have been there, Andy Wright and others, like, it has been so enriching. Now, I've preached Romans 6, 7, and 8. I've read about Romans 6, 7, and 8. But it's been such a joy to get the refresher. I sent Ed an email because I, I was off thinking about something else, and then Ed asked me a question, and I tried to fake like I knew what was going on. I was totally lost. I was like, so, you know, I mean, he's teaching... And it's like triggering my mind, and I'm thinking about different things. It's so enriching. You get your doctrine just reinforced and clarified. And what is true? And incidentally, this is why we do not even try to mix the Bible with psychology. We don't mix the flawless word of God and its truths with the half-truths of human speculation. Just clearly understanding the word gives the deepest answers to the soul from a living word as the Holy Spirit writes it and drives it home to our hearts. He says, grip the truth of what we've taught you. This is very important for holding on to the Lord's amazing grace and seeing it active in our lives. We finish with this, uh, verses uh, 16 and 17. The Lord's comforting strength. <clears throat> now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. I want to tell you something about uh, verse 16. And you don't need, you know, you wouldn't need to know this to benefit from the verses, but it is interesting because how it's written back in Paul's language, the first word is himself. They would do that to make a strong point. They would take one word and stick it at the front of the sentence. 
you know, be like me saying, I see Jim Abbott sitting back there, bear trap is what Jim Abbott accidentally stepped into when he was hiking in the woods. Now, I could turn the sentence around, but you suddenly, the opening word bear trap, and then Jim Abbott, you suddenly, whoa, there's something here important. That's what they do. Himself, and then it says, the Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father, really showing their equality because it says singular, himself, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. So he's building on that grace now. Now, this phrase, look at it, look at your Bible, eternal comfort. There is no other place I found in, in my search where the phrase eternal comfort has shown up. And I kept wrestling with this. What is eternal comfort? I mean, once we're with Christ, I mean, there aren't going to be other trials we have to be comforted. Maybe this will help. This word is the same word used for the Holy Spirit when he's given the title, the comforter. He's also given title, the encourager or the counselor. They had a word in their language that it takes us three words to put it together, although we know it when it happens. When you have received good, helpful counsel, good, let's just say good help from a friend, to walk through something in life. And if you try to describe it, usually three elements will come up. They were comforting, they were encouraging, and they counseled me. That's the word here. So let's, instead of the word comfort, and this is legitimate, who gave us eternal counsel. Now, that changes the sense of what he's saying. Eternal counsel, may he, eternal counsel and good hope through grace, may he counsel your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Why does he call it eternal? He's saying, and you hear us use this phrase, eternal perspective. Are you looking at life through the lens of eternity? That's what he's saying. May the Lord himself, who loved us, who has given us counsel with an eternal viewpoint and good hope through this grace that we just read about, may he counsel your hearts and establish, and this word establish is the word we get, we use that word for the word steroids. I love this. He says, may he counsel your heart and give you the steroids in your soul that you need for every good work and word. Look at the contrast of where we began in the lawlessness and where we end with the believer. The Lord's comforting strength, the Lord's counseling strength so that every work and every word is empowered by him of the message we take to people right now. Now, I don't know the future. I don't know. Uh, Psalm 46 says God can bring desolations, and he also can make a war to cease. He could stop this evening all the madness. He could do it. Well, it'll take a while for the momentum. To, no, he can do it. He can stop it in a moment. It's like when Jesus is in the boat and the waves and the wind are blowing, and Jesus gets up, he says, be calm. 
And there wasn't even a wave lapping up against the boat to settle down. It was instantly calm, like you flip to the next picture. And the disciples are there. They're battling the storm. Jesus gets up and says, be calm. And everything goes. I can't. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking if I was on that boat, I'd be like, whoa. <laughs> Psalm 46 says the Lord can stop anytime he wants. But here's. And I, I was reading about how our Chinese believers were approaching it a few years back when they saw the increase of the turmoil. They realized it was time for the leader. The leaders realized it was time for them to train and prepare their people for a new wave of opposition that was coming. And I think we would be careless if we just go whistling along and not stop to think, it's time to strengthen our faith. It's time to wake up out of any slumber we have. I need that warning like anybody else. I don't know what's going to unfold, but when the Lord is showing he's lifting restraint, that is time for believers to gain strength from the grace of Jesus Christ. It's very interesting in the nations we pray for the believers. Usually we see one of three ways persecution happens. There might be others, but this is what I kind of boiled down to. Either the government then starts persecution directly, or the government joins hands with whatever radical groups to work together to persecute, or the government just looks the other way and lets the radical groups do the persecuting. It seems to be one of three scenarios that way. I don't know the future. Jesus Christ does. But when the Lord is showing us what is happening, I think it's crucial we keep the bigger picture in mind, that we understand what's happening, look larger. This is the Lord's ruling hand with strong warnings and urgency to share the gospel with people. Don't worry about getting them reoriented to some political viewpoint you have. You point them to Christ and warn them, this turmoil very likely is going to get worse. Tell them, say, I'd be glad to be wrong, but there's enough evidence it probably is going to get worse because the darkness has been getting so bad. Point them to the Lord's amazing grace and assure them when their faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will give them the comforting strength they need to go through life till the day they meet the Savior. Now, I urge any here today who have not trusted Christ as Savior. I mean, I, I don't have to try to talk you into like having some interest in Christ. If you have that new heart, you have an interest in Christ. No matter what kind of battles you face, all we have to do is start pointing to Christ and your heart is there. That's what I want. If you don't have that, you may have a lot of Christian religion, but you don't know, have the Savior. You haven't met him. And I urge you, God's warnings are strong. And he warns those people on the final day, if you want to believe a lie, I will grant you that permission and send you that delusion. I urge you, if you've never trusted Christ today, Make that the day. Listen to this call. You can understand that warning, even if you don't know Christ. That's pretty clear. That is a strong warning. You take that booklet, Ultimate Questions, or 
knowing God personally or talk to me or talk to Ed or Lear or elder's wife, somebody you know, I've watched that person, I know they walk with Jesus. That's, that's all you need and just say, I don't know Christ, I want to know him. And we will point you not to our church, not to religion, we'll point you to Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, my appeal today from the word, and I, before the Lord, I said, Lord, just help me handle the passage faithfully. In whatever way the message that I presented is flawed, look at what the word says. Be strong, hold to the truth, and let the eternal perspective counsel from our God, the good hope we have in Christ. Let it counsel our hearts and put us on steroids for every good work and word we can do for the gospel in these days. Let me pray for us. All right. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for helping me handle your word. I confess before my brothers and sisters and my friends here that uh, you know full well, Lord, how much I needed to be confronted with this passage and these truths. And now I pray, Lord, work and move. If there's any you brought today who do not know Christ, bring them, Lord Jesus, to yourself today by the work of your spirit. We pray for that. And strengthen us, Lord, as a church. And certainly, Lord, even if things calm down, it would not hurt us to be stronger and holding more firm and growing in our faith more. Pour out your grace and your spirit's work, we ask, all for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God's grace to you.